guys enjoyed being in the presence of the Lord this morning? Let's just celebrate that. I'm gonna get you to grab your Bibles if you would and let's go to Luke chapter 12. Luke chapter 12, I'm gonna talk today about generosity. I'm gonna talk about generosity and before I do, I just wanna set it up by just reminding you of how generous God has been toward us as a church family. Over these past two and a half years, God, in the middle of a, of a pandemic and coming out of the pandemic and all of the things that churches are faced with and challenged with, the Lord has just provided for us resources and, and the financial needs to, to not just uh, thrive, but, uh, but to, to really see the kingdom of God expanded in our area and all over the world. And, and God's generosity of just seeing the fruit of that ministry, seeing hundreds and, and literally thousands of people impacted uh, by the gospel through our church, that is nothing short of the generosity of God, amen? And the reason that's important for us to remember is because our generosity, church, is in response to his generosity. We will never be more generous than God. Do you believe that? Has God been good? By the way, you sound like he's not been good to you. I'm like, hey, has God been good? Yeah, he's been good. Like, come on, and, and listen, it's too late for that, all right? You've already blown your opportunity, all right? So the scripture says that when we don't worship him, the rocks and trees will and probably do a better job than us. But the truth is, God has been so generous to us, amen? And our response to that generosity isn't to go, thank you, it's mine. It's to go, God, you've been so good. How could we not respond with opening up our lives to being generous toward the thing that you're being generous to, amen? So I just want us to be rooted in that as we talk about that this morning. And uh, Luke chapter 12, we're going to be looking at a section of scripture and the, the title of the sermon is very original. I came up with it myself. Here is the title, Live Like You Were Dying. Some of you are giggling because I didn't come up with that on my own. Tim McGraw did or whoever the songwriter was. 2004, this song became so popular, it's still popular today. It's called Live Like You Were Dying. And in this, this song, there's a story um, that really is about Tim McGraw's dad who was diagnosed with cancer at a young age and the conversation with what that must have been like to see kind of your life flash in front of your eyes. And then so they wrote this song and in the chorus of the song, remember, uh, you know, the answer to what do you do when life, you know, is, is, is put right in front of your face that you may not live very long. He says, I went skydiving. I went Rocky Mountain climbing. I went 2.7 seconds on a bull name. Some of y'all know songs more than you know the Bible. It sets you up for that one. He goes on to say, and I loved deeper and I spoke sweeter and I gave forgiveness I've been denying. And he said, someday I hope you get the chance to live like you were dying. Now the reason I mentioned this, this country song this morning is because I believe that all truth is God's truth, amen? So whether it's, 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 a, it's a country song or, or not, here's the truth and here's the reality. Whenever humanity faces the brevity of life and the fact that we're not gonna live forever, it is a sobering reality, right? We begin to look at life differently. Now listen, here's the thing. Like I know I'm not gonna live forever and it does not make me want to go ride a bull no matter what name it has, all right? I don't want to do that. I have very little desire to go Rocky Mountain climbing at all. But all of us, when we think about life being short and potentially not 
being here forever, there, there's this reality of, of, okay, wait, what's most important and what do I need to live for and what really matters in life? And that's what I need to be living for and not the momentary pleasures that we often get caught up in. And that's really what Jesus is gonna teach us in regards to money and possessions and why it is we should live generous. Jesus is inviting us this morning to live like we were dying. Because the truth is, if we know the statistics, the death rate is still one per person. And um, at some point, if Jesus doesn't return anytime soon, that we're going to breathe our life and our, uh, last and our life will be over. And so therefore we should, with our resources and our money and our time and our energy, we should literally live like we're dying because we are. And this is what we're gonna discover this morning. So Luke chapter 12, if you're there, say the Bible is true. Luke chapter 12, verse 13, someone in the crowd said to him, teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance. Somebody share with me after the eight o'clock service. They said, this had to have been a middle brother or a younger brother. You know, tell, tell my brother to, to divide the inheritance with me. But he said to him, man, who made me a judge or arbiter over you? And he said to them, take care and be on your guard and against all covetedness. For one's life does not consist in his abundance of possessions. And he told them a parable saying, the land of a rich man produced plentifully. And he thought to himself, what shall I do? I have nowhere to store my crops. And he said, I will do this. I will tear down my barns and I will build bigger ones. And I will store up all of my grain uh, and my goods. And I will say to my soul, he's self-talking here, which is never good. Soul, you have ample supply of uh, goods. Laid up for many years, relax, eat, drink, be merry. But God said to him, fool, this night your soul is required of you and the things that you have prepared, whose will they be? In other words, Jesus is reminding us this man is not living like he's dying. But he's telling him he should be. Verse 21, so is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. Now this, this passage has three parts to it. I'm gonna give you these three parts and I'm gonna walk by each section and show you some things in there. Uh, there's the situation and that is there was a man that comes to Jesus and demands that Jesus be the arbiter or judge in a, in a legal financial matter between he and his brother. That's the situation where Jesus is gonna then address the subject of greed or coveting. Then you have the illustration. Jesus is gonna tell a story about a wealthy man who had a really great year financially and, and what he did with his resources. And Jesus is gonna show us some truths about greed that we need to learn. And then you're gonna see the application. At the very end, Jesus is gonna give just like this one-liner, drop-the-mic moment where we get the application of what it is he's telling us about living generously and living a life that's free from greed and selfish ambition. And here's, so here's what we're gonna do. Jump in if you would. Let's look at the situation and let's just revisit the story. Verse 13, it says this. It said, someone in the crowd said to him, teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. Now, I want you to see this, uh, the way the story is unfolding. Jesus has been teaching the crowds and he's not talking about money. He's, and actually, the verses earlier, he was talking about the mission of God and the work of the Holy Spirit in our life. And right in the middle of this teaching about the Holy Spirit and about the mission of God, this guy stands up and he says, teacher, which is a way of showing admiration or respect to Jesus, teacher. And then completely off the subject, he says, I want you to tell my brother to give me my half of the inheritance. 
Now, I don't know how many school teachers we have in the room, but you know this is what happens in the classroom. Teacher will be talking about something about history and, and they're going through you know, this teaching and this lesson and then they come to the end of that and they've got this great lesson that they've taught. Hey, is there any questions? And some kid raises their hand and is like, hey, what time is lunch, right? This completely derails the moment. Everything that they've been learning up to this point and talks about something that's so unrelated. Anybody seen that before? This is what happens in this moment. This man interrupts Jesus, specifically interrupts his teaching, and he demands something of Jesus that's unrelated to anything. So this man is disinterested in everything Jesus is talking about. He's only caring about himself. Look what happens next, verse 14. But he, Jesus, said to him, man, which is, by the way, like Jesus, like referring to him as man, is is like his being annoyed with him, like, I wanna say moron, like, right? Moron, what are you doing here? Man, who made me a judge or arbitrator over you? Now, here's the irony of this. The irony is, is that Jesus is the judge of everyone, right? And here this man is, interrupts the teaching of Jesus to bring an unrelated topic in regards to his own personal conflict with his brother, and he's asking Jesus to rule in in a certain matter, and Jesus looks at him and says, man, who made me judge over you and over this situation? In other words, Jesus is dismissing this temporary thing that this man is dealing with, and here is the irony. Jesus is not gonna be a judge in the matter of this man's financial dilemma, but what Jesus is about to do is be the judge of his heart. And Jesus is gonna expose the greed in this man's life and he is going to act as a judge but not the way the man wanted. You gotta be careful what we ask Jesus for in our life, amen? Sometimes Jesus gives us what we need and not what we want and what he does in that moment is he reveals some things about us that we didn't see. And that's what Jesus is gonna do in this moment. I want you to see what Jesus' response is. And he said to them, And he said to them, so picture the scene here. Jesus is teaching to the crowd. Man stands up. Would you do this? Jesus says, I'm not the judge in this matter. And then Jesus then, this man is standing, turns to the crowd. This man is now gonna become the object lesson of greed. Sometimes you wanna be the object lesson for Jesus when he's saying, hey, look at how awesome they are. Not in this situation. He turns to the crowd and in light of what this man says, here's Jesus' response. Take care. Be on your guard against covetousness or greed. That's a better, maybe a translation in our understanding. For one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. Now, in response to this man asking Jesus to intercede in this financial dilemma, Jesus steps up and he says this. He gives one command in the entire passage, one command and one command only, and this is the command. Guard your heart against greed. Guard your heart against greed. Guard your heart from this this desire for wanting what does not belong to you or holding on to what God has entrusted to you. Guard your heart. Now with this statement, Jesus is exposing not just this man's heart, but our heart as well. When Jesus says, hey, guard yourself against greed, here's what he's saying about the man. This man's motives is, is very greedy and it's very shady. Now, how do we know that? Think about the nature of what this man has done. He's interrupted a teaching of Jesus that was very clear with an unrelated topic. Now, notice this. When he interjects his demand of Jesus, not request, he doesn't say, Jesus, will you? He just says, Jesus, tell my brother to give me half of my inheritance, give the inheritance that belongs to me. 
So notice what Jesus is experiencing here. This man is not requesting something from him. He is demanding something from him. He is not asking Jesus what your will is. He's saying, Jesus, would you do my will in this situation? That's what's happening in this passage. This man, watch this. This is the greed that we get exposed in the passage. He does not ask Jesus, would you be a fair judge to execute justice? He doesn't say, my brother and I are, have a severed relationship and we need to get this financial thing worked out so that our relationship can be restored. And, and the fact that, th- that an inheritance means what? If, he's, if there's an inheritance available, that means somebody has died, right? And he doesn't say to Jesus, Jesus, would you engage in, in, in helping us process the grief that we're experiencing? There's only one thing on the agenda of this man. It's not Jesus's will, it's not Jesus's justice, and it's not reconciliation and the severed relationship. I want my money and I want it now. And he's not really interested in what Jesus has for him. He he wants Jesus to do for him what he desires, not what Jesus wants. Now this was the the punch of the face for me this week. So I I don't know about you, sometimes the scripture, like I feel like it reaches out of the page and just goes, this is one of these right here across my face. Anybody experience that? Because I got really really judgmental on this dude. I was like, I looked at him and I was like, man, what a fool, this is an idiot, man. He's he's stepping in, interjecting, has no interest in the will of Jesus, just demanding these things from Jesus. And then I began to remember my own prayer life. Isn't this us? Like Jesus is at work all around us and there's things that he's doing and there's things that his word says and and yet our prayer life looks a lot like this. Jesus, I need and I want, please give me and I need you to come through and this thing is in front of me, I need you to come through for this, I need you to do this, I need you to do this and very little of our prayer time is us coming to Jesus going, Jesus, here's what I want, your will in my life. What do you wanna do in my life in this situation? What we do is that we just interrupt the things that Jesus is doing with our demands, not requests, because we believe we know best and Jesus needs to do what we know is best for us and then here's how we know this is how we pray. We get frustrated when Jesus doesn't do what we ask him to do. Now can we just all agree this morning that we're guilty of this at times? Amen? This man is getting exposed, but in this man getting exposed, guess who else is getting exposed? We're getting exposed. Because we look an awful lot like this man. We want what we want, and we expect Jesus to give us what we want, and when he doesn't, we get highly frustrated with Jesus. And this becomes a pattern if we're not careful. This is why Jesus says what he says. This man is plagued with greed, and Jesus is showing us that that's the heart of humanity. So the question is this, when Jesus sees this man standing up, Jesus turns to the crowd and he says to the crowd, hey, guard yourself against greed. Why would Jesus give this one command? Because Jesus knows that the heart of humanity, because of our sin, we are hardwired and programmed toward greed. If you don't believe me, just look at your first parents, your first parents, Adam and Eve. God places them in the Garden of of Eden. And in the Garden of Eden, they have everything they could ever want. And by the way, they didn't create it, they didn't plan it, 
They didn't develop it. God literally creates it. And then it says in the scripture, and he set them in the midst of the garden so that every provision that they could ever want in life, God in his grace and his mercy, not because of work of their own, he, he freely gave it to them. And then he said, but there's one tree in the midst of the garden and that's off limits. That tree belongs to me. It's not yours. Everything else is yours. But what is the one thing Adam and Eve wanted? They wanted the one thing that God told them they couldn't have. You know what that shows us about the heart of humanity? Is that we are bent toward this dissatisfaction with what God has given us and a hunger and desire for more. And that's what greed is. Greed at the end of the day, it is, it is, this, it is this perpetual pursuit of wanting more believing that that more will bring wholeness and satisfaction. And so here's what greed is, is I want more, I wanna keep more, and also greed develops within our heart this envy toward those who have things that we don't have. And by the way, we came out of our womb living like this. Any parents of two-year-olds in the house? Or have ever been around a two-year-old for that matter? Like as soon as they discover that there are things and possessions and then there are other people that might interfere with things and possessions, what do we see them do? Like before they even sometimes say mom and dad very clearly, what do they say? Mine. Why? Because I want it. And, and even if I don't want it, if I see you want it, now I want it because you may get it. And what if I want it after you want it and you have it and I can't get it? Okay, I'm just gonna punch you now. And we talked about the terrible twos. I'm be honest with you, my kids, I was just, it was just terrible. It wasn't terrible twos, it was terrible. Like open-ended terrible. Why is this? We, didn't, we don't have to teach our kids mine. We don't have to teach our kids to be selfish. You don't never sit down with little Jenny and little Johnny and say, now listen, when you get to school, I want you to take stuff from your friend's hands. And if they don't give it to you, you take another toy and you punch them in the face with it. What do you do? Share. Play nicely. This is not yours, it's y'all's. Y'all share this together. We have to teach that why, because we're hardwired. This is why Jesus says, guard your heart from this, because by the way, it's not a two-year-old problem. The only difference between the two-year-old and the 40-year-old is that the toys are more expensive. We're hardwired toward this. If you look at the wars that are being fought all over the world today, it's a greed issue. Marriages that are coming to an end, it's a greed issue. Even if it's not about the finances, it's about, okay, my marriage isn't this and I like their marriage better than this marriage and so maybe I need to get out of this marriage to get another marriage because that marriage is a lot better and we're living with this, I'm not satisfied with what I have, I want more and if I can't get more, I'm gonna try to take from you at all costs or at least be envious or jealous of you. This is the human disposition. It's humanity trying to find in the creation what we were made to find in the creator. And this is why Jesus tells us to guard our heart from this. Verse 15b, look what he says toward the end of this. He says, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. 
The point is this, money and possessions is a terrible source of satisfaction because at the end of the day, money and possessions cannot satisfy the human heart. Because the more we have, the more we want. And the more we want, the more we desire to take what doesn't belong to us. And here's the thing, the heart is bent toward this. We want this. This is why, if you remember in history, J.D. Rockefeller, one of the wealthiest men in American history, in world history, history tells us that he, in his, he, he had in his financial possession 1% of the entire American economy which by the way is a lot of money. Remember the question he was asked one time, hey, how much is enough? Here was his answer, just a little bit more. Just a little bit more. This is a man who had more than anyone else in the nation. They said, hey, is that enough? No, I need a little bit more. Why? Because if I get that little bit more, now is that enough? No, a little bit more. Is that enough? No, a little bit more. And it's this perpetual pursuit. Why? Because things can never satisfy the soul cannot find in the creation what we were meant to find in the creator. And so listen to me, Jesus is saying, you gotta guard your heart against greed because greed is gonna give you this, this perpetual pursuit of wanting more, of not being satisfied with what you have and this envy of what other people have and ultimately it'll burn your life down. And we're seeing that in our culture all around us, are we not? So Jesus moves from the situation to the illustration. The illustration, Jesus is gonna give us two truths about um, greed that we gotta know. And he does this in form of a parable. Look what he says again in verse number 16. He says, and he told them a parable saying, the land of a rich man produced plentifully. And he thought to himself, what shall I do? I have nowhere to store my crops. And he said, I will do this. I will tear down my barns and I will build bigger ones. And there I will store all of my grain and all of my good. And I will say to my soul, soul, you have ample good laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, be merry. But God said to him, fool, this night your soul is required of you and the things that you have prepared, whose will they be? There are two big truths I wanna highlight that Jesus gives us about greed and why it is we must guard our heart against greed. Here's number one. Greed creates a failing sense of self-sufficiency. Greed creates a failing sense of self-sufficiency. Now, it says this in the very first part of the story, and just think about the way the story's being told. Jesus opened up the parable by saying, the land of a rich man produced plentifully. Now, why is that important that Jesus opens it up that way? That phrase there was, a, was an indicator to the crowds listening that God, Jesus is acknowledging that God is the provider of this man's wealth. Notice Jesus doesn't start out by saying, a rich man planted a field that produced crop. It doesn't talk about the work and the effort and the, and the, the, the business savviness of the, the rich man. It simply says the land of a rich man produced, and here's why. Everyone in that culture would have recognized that God is the God of the harvest. That God is the one, though we toil, the, though, we, though we plow the ground and though we uh, plant the seed, it is God that sends the rain. It is God that sends the sunshine. It is God that brings about the harvest. And Jesus is reminding us here in the story that while this man received the plentiful crop that it produced in abundance, some, some scholars call this a bumper crop, that this man uh, was experiencing some phenomenon that brought about, you know, 
triple or quadruple the amount of produce. And Jesus wants us to understand very clearly that this man has what he has, not because he worked for it, but because of the sovereignty and the generosity of God in his life. See, here's the pride of humanity. The pride of humanity is that we wanna take the credit for God's provision, do we not? Because when we talk about generosity and talk about you know, living generously, people always say, look, I don't need a preacher or anybody else telling me what to do with my money that I work for, that I put in you know, 60, 70 hours a week to, to build what I have. I don't need someone telling me what to do with my money. That's the disposition of the wealthy landowner here. Because while you may have worked for it, God gave it. Unless you've forgotten that the brain that you have and the mental capacity that you possess to do the things that God has given you to do is a gift from God. And in case you didn't remember, the strength in your body is the strength that God has provided to you to physically do what you do. The, the heart that's beating in your chest, not one person woke up this morning contemplating, how can I keep my own heart beating? The breath that's in your lungs is borrowed breath because it doesn't belong to you. So we gotta remember it's the land that produces because God is the God of the land, not our hard work. Does that make sense? Like, like it's not our hard work that does this. It's God who's at work. He is generous toward us. Even in our capacity to think and work, it is his generosity. That's why it says the land of a wealthy man produced. It's the generosity of God. But that's not the way that this man sees it. Look at the story. I want you to... Listen to the story and listen. Sometimes we read the scripture and we read over the thing that Jesus is saying. Let's read slowly through this again. Look what he says here in verse 16. And he told them a parable saying, the land of a rich man, I'm gonna use the screen to do this one. The land of a rich man produced plentifully. Verse 17. And he thought to himself, what shall I do for I have nowhere to store my crops, verse 18. And he said, I will do this. I will tear down my barns and build larger ones. There I will store all my grain and my goods. And then it says in verse 19, and then I will say to my soul, soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, and be merry. Do you see the problem with the story? Over and over and over again, me, I, my. That's the focus of this man. Greed creates in us, if we're not careful, a failing sense of self-sufficiency. You see, we gotta understand, and this man fails to understand this. It was the land that produced. It was God's grace in his life. But rather than seeing God's grace in his life, he views everything that he has as something he earned and he worked for and that it belonged to him. But we've gotta make no mistake. The scripture says the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. That means that everything in the universe belongs to God and not to us. See, this is financial freedom tip Number one, and really the only one that I'm gonna give you, all right? And this is not in the notes, this is a freebie. Can I help you? Financial freedom for every single one of us begins with this truth. Nothing belongs to me, everything belongs to God. You see, our financial issues that we have in this life is because we view our stuff as our stuff. 
But when we understand I'm an owner of nothing and I am a manager and a steward of what God has entrusted to me, now I approach my finances with great care because I'm not caring for my stuff, I'm caring for his stuff. Therefore, we don't rely on self-sufficiency. We don't come to Jesus demanding. We come asking, how do you want me to use your resources to advance your mission in my life so that your name and your glory might be experienced? That's the transformation that happens when we start going from my mind to God. It all belongs to you. See, self-sufficiency, what that does is, notice this man in the story the, the farmer here, he gives no thought for what God wants. Notice the language. All of this abundance, like his mind is blown. The land is produced plentifully. And here he is. He goes, oh my gosh, what am I gonna do with all of this stuff? Which is the great dilemma of American Christianity. We are the wealthiest people that's ever walked the planet and our great heartburn. Listen, I know for some of you you're like, man, I'm in financial like distress. I will show you some places on planet earth that I've walked and you will be the richest person that they could ever imagine a meeting, no matter how poor you think you are. The great dilemma in most of our life is how can I get so I can have more? And here this man is, he has everything. He does not say, God, what do you want me to do with the abundance? He doesn't acknowledge that it belongs to God. He, he says, it belongs to me, and it's my decision what I'm gonna do with what I have. You see the problem here? Self-sufficiency. He doesn't think how I can bless other people. Some scholars say this man is, is, is playing a, a capitalist game. What, what he's doing is there's this overabundance of crop, and rather than putting it into the market, which would lower prices for the average person to purchase, what does he do? He, he builds bigger barns in order to store it, only let the, the, the grain trickle into the economy to keep prices high and supply low, so that as, as the economy and, 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 the, and the grain shortage comes, he can add more at a higher price, And which is, again, it's, it's, it's his right to do if that's the system, right? But here's what Jesus is showing us here. This man has no regard for the well-being of other people, only about having bigger barns for himself. And by the way, this is not like I'm not. This is not an anti-capitalist statement. I know we have buzzwords that trigger us in our culture today. You say the word socialism or capitalism, everybody gets in a, in, a, in a weird place. So please don't send me an email because I promise you, if I see any reference to this, I'm just going to delete it without reading it. But I will give you this, and again, this is the thing that I don't want emails for. What I'm talking about here is not socialism. Let me tell you the difference between socialism and gospel generosity. It's simply this. Socialism says, you have an abundance and I have little. Give me what you have. Gospel generosity says, I have an abundance and you have little. Can I give to you? One is about taking. One is about giving. No emails. Not a political statement. This man has no regard for anything but himself. Can I tell you something? That's us, is it not? Or, or, or listen, this is the story of my life. As my, as my income has increased through the years, my, my size of living increases almost proportionally, right? Is that true for you? 
Like this is what happens if we're not careful. What do we do when God blesses us with more? We build bigger barns is what we do. We don't live on less to give more, we get more to live more, and then we need more because we can't keep up with the living we've created. But if generosity is part of the equation, self-sufficiency wouldn't be there as this greed, and because here's what self-sufficiency does. It proves itself as, as a failing thing. Why? Because we can never keep up with that desire for more. Which leads me to point number two. Greed becomes a false source of security. Greed becomes a false source of security. Verse 18, he says this, but he said, I will do this. I will tear down my barns and build, build bigger ones. And there I will store all my grain and all my good. And I will say to my soul, soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, and be merry. Man, I got the big barns and they're full of resources. I can just kick back and enjoy because life is good and it'll be good for a long time. That's the whole picture. Relax, eat, drink, be merry. In other words, go into an early retirement and just live the rest of your life off the wealth that you've built. Not recognizing he didn't build anything, God gave it to him. And God didn't give it to him for his own personal consumption. But now he has this false sense of security as if, look, look at this, I, what's happening is this, is that, that money becomes an idol. Idol are the things that we trust in. And, 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 and if we're trusting in our wealth as our security, if we're trusting in our stuff as a place that keeps our life in, in check and in balance, here's what's gonna happen. We're just one bad phone call away of realizing that we're in control of nothing. Or do we just need to remind you to look at the stock market right now? And, and, and look, at, look at how up and down and how volatile the system is and the money that's been made, the money that's been lost literally overnight. Why? Because money is an unstable source of security. The hurricane that blew through Florida was not a respecter of person. Like it just, like stuff is, is insecure. It won't last forever. We, we can have one day sunshine, everything's great. The next day, it's all in ruins. And by the way, it's not just wealth. Some of us think we're just gonna live forever. We're all one phone call away and one doctor visits away of realizing I am not in control of my life. Wrong, one wrong bad turn on a, on a, on a highway, right? So to put our security and the things of this world thinking, we've got the bull by the horns, man, I'm gonna live forever, and I got all of this, and I'm just gonna kick back realizing that my life could end in a second. This is what Jesus says here. Look what he says here. The, 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 the moment that turns the story, verse 20, but God said to him, so this man's saying to himself the whole time, I will do this, I will do this, I will do this, and God goes, hey, Bubba, come here. He didn't really say that, but he said something like that. You're gonna die tonight. Your soul is gonna be required of you tonight. Can I tell you, listen, you're not gonna live one second longer than God has placed you on this planet to live, and it doesn't matter how much money or how little money you have. This man went to sleep that night with bigger barns, all is well eat, drink, and be married, and never wake up again. Is that a sober reality? So what's the answer? Well, the answer is the application Jesus gives. Very simple. 
Verse 21, so it is the one who lays up treasure for himself but is not rich toward God. This is what it's like for those. He's saying, look, this is what it looks like for anyone who lives in greed where there's this, this failing uh, sense of, of self-sufficiency and this, this uh, false sense of security. We're living like this. And all of a sudden, here's what God is showing, Jesus is showing us in this passage. Just like the rich man put his hope in things that would fail him, when we live like this, it will fail us. When we're rich toward the things of this world but not rich toward God, It is to trust in him, to be generous toward others. You see, here's the the truth that we're finding out. Jesus asked the question in in the parable, where will this man's barns be when he's gone? It means it'll belong to somebody else. Here's the point. You're not taking any of this with you. But you can send some ahead by being rich toward God, living generously, opening your hands. In fact, let me just show you what this does in our life. Put your pen and, and, and Bible in your lap. I want you to do this. Squeeze your hand real tight. Just do this real, real quick. Squeeze your hands really tight. Object lesson, all right? Squeeze, squeeze tight. Not, no, you're not squeezing tight enough. I'm not seeing blood leave your face yet. Like, squeeze your hands really tight. Squeeze, squeeze, squeeze harder, 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 tighter, 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 tighter. Your hands starting to cramp yet at all? Is it starting to feel very uncomfortable? Keep squeezing, keep squeezing. How does that feel right now? It feels pretty awful, doesn't it? Now, let's do something. Open your hands. Lay them in your lap, just like this. Which posture is more comfortable? Tight-fisted, squeezing, holding on, or open-handed? You see, the reason we're so stressed out in the world today and that we're so wigged out about money and finances and economy and all of that is because this is how we're living. I gotta hold on to what I have and I gotta try to reach for more. And I gotta somehow hold this and I'm gonna go reach for some more. And I'm trying to hold them. People come, and I gotta pull this away. And our whole life is lived just like this. It's mine and I need to get more and I gotta hold on to it. And I can't let everybody, anybody into this as part of my life. I want to secure it. And we're living crazy lives. When the invitation of Jesus is this. What does it mean to be rich toward God? It's to realize that he owns it all. Therefore, I'm open-handed. And I'm generous. This posture, check this out, is both the posture of receiving and giving. Okay, God, you're gonna bless me with this. Okay, all right. How can I bless others? Okay, God, you've provided in an incredible way. How do you want me to use this? What do you wanna do? God, I I need, there's some lack in my life and I'm gonna trust that you're gonna provide as I need it and then when you give it, I'm gonna give you glory for it. This is a much more beautiful way of living. Let me illustrate it in a closing illustration. Our high school girls got to go to a women's shelter this past weekend for For the City Sunday. It was an incredible opportunity to serve and as they were there, there was a lady that had a, table set up and she was selling different items and they walked over and it was the director of the shelter and they asked her, so what, what are you doing and, and, and she said well I've got these items that I'm selling and um, to raise money for the mission and they looked and there were different types of irons and different antiques on there and they said well what are they and then she got emotional she began to tear up she began to say these are family heirlooms These are irons that have been passed down. This one was my great-grandmother's and this was my grandmother's and my mom had collected these. And 
she'd tell the story of when and where she received those and she kind of got emotional and this she said to the girls she said these things are so precious to me she said this but they're just stuff and I feel like they would be a better use for them than just to sit on display so I'm selling them these prized possessions so that I can give it away into the ministry and she's weeping as she's telling this and our high school girls got kind of emotional and they, they kind of circled up together and they said we, we got to do something and so they added up the total amount that she was selling those for and they took an offering among themselves and they walked over to the lady and they said hey we want to buy all of this and she was like excuse me and they said we want to buy all of this she gave it was over a hundred bucks worth of money and they gave it to the lady and they said we want to purchase all of this you're selling for ministry we want to buy it all and then she's like okay and so she gets the money and then they turned around and said now we want to give this back to you we want this to go back to you and she was like I don't understand and they said no we bought this so we could give it to you can I tell you that's, that's the most beautiful picture of gospel generosity I think I've ever heard. See, because Jesus didn't love us like this. You know how Jesus loved us? He loved us like this. With outstretched arms on the cross, open hands saying, look, I give my life so that you can have life. No, I'm dying so that you can live. Then that's generosity, is it not? What would it look like in response to that type of generosity for us to begin to live with open hands? with lives that say, God, it belongs to you. I'm not gonna put hope in, in self-sufficiency. I'm not gonna put hope in a false sense of security. I'm gonna place my hope in the giver of good gifts. Therefore, I'm gonna live in response to your grace. You, you died to give me life. And so now my life is gonna be given back to you to use how you desire. That's the heartbeat of generosity. It is a response to the gospel of Jesus, amen? Here's what I'm gonna pray for you. And then one announcement will be dismissed. Father, we love you. And I ask in the name of Jesus that you would move in our hearts in a way that would bring us to a place of generosity, that we would glorify you and magnify you. Use us in response to the cross. Free us from the, the sin of greed. and Lead us to a life of generosity in Jesus' name. God's people said.